As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Best Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and every now and then, Sportsman Drag Racing. I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Mr. Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is live back in Alabama. I'm live here in Illinois. Thank you for to those of you watching us live uh, on the Sportsman Drag Racing Facebook, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. One day I'll get that right. Thanks also to those of you listening via traditional means on the podcast feed. Big Jed, couple of days removed from Labor Day 250K. How we feeling? Uh, we're we're a little tired, Luke. A little yeah. tired, but you know, all in all, it was it was uh, really didn't wear me down too bad. Uh, was able to come home Sunday night, so that was a good thing. Got in about two thirty Monday morning, long drive, but we got it done. So I'm uh, I'm starting to recover. I'm pretty close to to catching back up on a little bit of sleep and doing well. I mean, my biggest problem right now is the is the anxiety leading up to 6.03, um, you know, that we shut her down like 5.59 and some change and we got our 6.03 start time. And I don't know, just every week, I just start getting a little bit nervous. Like, it just goes dark for a few minutes, doesn't it? Yeah, we're, we're going live. And there was like 16 people online. As soon as you mentioned my name, it dropped to nine. So it's like, they're like, oh, oh Jed's back this week. So <laughs> we're good. We'll, we'll listen later. You don't think it's a coincidence? I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't know. I don't think there's much that could be done from a production value standpoint. I just can't imagine there's a lot of people that like to look at us. Maybe listen to us. That might be a stretch, but to look at us, that seems like a bridge too far. You know, I mean, I think it's probably not. I don't, I can understand you. You're looking good. You got yourself in really good shape. That your Moser hat. You got the black background. I got this earth tone behind me. I'm wearing a headset. I just... I think that I'm hard to look at. You know, I don't pop up unless I'm talking. So they really don't have to look at me a whole lot. Is that, is that a pleasant way of telling me I, I talk too much? No, 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 no. No, you just, your input's a lot better than mine. That's all that means. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. So <laughs> we're on the heels of Labor Day weekend. There was 40 Grand Nationals in Norwalk. There was 
uh, uh, a somewhat large event in Indianapolis. But you know what? This is our podcast, Big Jeb. And you know what I want to talk about first? I want to talk about the richest race of the weekend as it pertains to sportsman drag racing. And that that was for the foot feeders at a little place called Bristol. Labor Day 250K. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss you the ball here and let you run with it. But I want to lead us off by saying we we looked pretty smart when this all went away. We 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 went out on a limb a week ago. Predictions sure to go wrong. We each predicted a winner of the $100,000 main event. Your prediction, one Doyle K. My prediction, one Ernie Humes. Doyle K and Ernie Humes' race car appeared in the final. I'm going to take that as a win-win. I may or may not have had a right car, wrong driver situation. It was not Ernie Humes at the wheel. It was one Brian Yerger Jr. I want to talk more about Doyle K, but first... Tell me what I don't know about Brian Yerger Jr., winner of the Labor Day 250K main event. Well, Lil Yerg, he's 18 years old, uh, loaded with talent. The kid, you know, has a lot of great tools uh, at such a young age. Um, unfortunately, uh, he uh, he has he's most well <laughs> by a lot of people for having a couple of incidents at. Uh, Coburg Racing Promotions events. Um, uh, unfortunately, got involved with the family uh, comet. Beautiful, beautiful Mercury comet um, that that his family is on a couple of years ago, or I guess it was last year. And uh, then had the had the incident at the finish line this year, uh, but no damage to anybody's vehicle or any of the people. So that was good. So. Lil Yerg uh, is is known for being a very talented racer, Luke. I don't, I don't, I said most well known, but I don't want to make it sound like he's that guy because he isn't. He's not an overly aggressive driver. He's had a couple of late kind of, my words, kind of a panic drop uh, in in the rounds at Bristol over the past couple of years, and didn't work out very well in one, and one got away with it. Uh, but he's not one of those guys that goes down there and does those things. So I hope nobody's judging him for that. I'm certainly not. But, you know, I think it says a lot about little Yerg after he had the, the incident down there and kind of spun her out that uh, he and I had a discussion. And he was he was fully on board with what our look. I could tell that wasn't some, you know, aggressive trying to bomb the brake type deal. It was a late grab and uh, and. Get out there, be safe, be smart. Uh, don't don't put us in a position where another incident caused us to make a decision we didn't want to make at a point in the race we didn't want to make it. And this young man at the at the young age of 18 went out there and laid down 10 total in his next lap, just as solid as you could be, was 12 the next round. And then, of course, uh, in the final was a little behind those reaction times, but not a bad one. I think he was in the low 20s and got it done for, for the 100K check. Uh, gathered himself up extremely well, showed a lot of uh, maturity and a lot of ability to control. The kids got it. He really does. He's very, very talented. Uh, deserved that win. He earned it. Okay, time out. You just breezed through that because obviously you were inundated with it over the weekend. It was the story of where you were at. Are you telling me that this kid spun out late in the hundred grander that he won? Yes. Wow. Yes, he okay. Did. He uh he 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 was running a, a 
580 car and mm-hmm. he was going 630 and I think he took it about as far as he could take it and just kind of light, you know, grabbed it. Man, he, you know, he's not. He, Somehow you muted yourself, Jed. If you am I muted still? That's more better there. Okay. I have no idea what happened there. <laughs> but anyway, you could tell he's not that kind of guy. He's not that aggressive racer. And he let one get away from him, but didn't cause any damage, didn't hurt himself, didn't hurt anyone else. And uh, again, we had that discussion. But, uh, but Luke, he, this happened at. Um, well, I guess it happened at 11, at 11 cars and, uh, that carried him. He won the round and it carried him to six and then at six, he's 10 pack in the semis. He lays down a 12 bulb and rolls through for the win. And then hundred three, three rounds, three excellent rounds for him after that incident. It was incredible to watch how he gathered himself up. Wow. Yeah, no, that is, I think that's the takeaway here is just that level of composure at any age much less at 18 years old. Like I was going to frame this as a, as a battle of overcoming adversity, you know, having an, an incident at the event in years prior, which I guess he had. And then, but, but to do it in a matter of hours, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it was, it was very wild. Uh, you know, and, and I, I saw him at the time, you know, after it happened, I saw him, he was in the trailer. He was emotional as he should have been. It was a, it was an emotional scene. And, uh, you know, he just, he really just gathered himself up. He had, he had Ernie Humes, he had Lucas Walker. He had a lot of people there talking to him and talking him through it and helping him gather himself up. Obviously Ernie being the car owner, uh, he was, uh, he was instrumental in getting the car prepared for the next round and making sure that mentally little Yerg was ready to go out there and do what he needed to do. And all of that worked to perfection. They, they helped gather him up and get him on the right track, get him thinking right. And he went out and performed exceptionally well. So, I mean, not to, not to put words in Brian Yerger's mouth or for you to put words in Brian Yerger's mouth, but let's say 10 years ago, when he looks back on this, like what's the takeaway? That is a wild chain of events and something that I think as time goes on, you're even more proud of than you could probably realize in the moment. Do you think that's fair? Oh, there's a hundred percent, no doubt. Um, because because he's not the guy that goes down and pounds the brake pedal like that. I think uh, I think he learned a valuable lesson. Unfortunately, it was the second time that those that that's happened to him. And but I think he learned a valuable lesson there. But I, I really think the takeaway in general is that even when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, you know, you can overcome it and you can get your mind right. Because I, I think all of us are guilty of taking the previous round to the next round with us when things don't go exactly like we wanted them to go. Now, this was a this was a little bit of a different type of incident. You know, it wasn't just a missing the tree or whatever, bad finish line driving, whatever. But he got through it. And I don't think you can help but take that round with you to the next round. But he totally just wiped that away and went out and performed. And uh, it was it was pretty awesome to watch, you know, in the, in the show, in the lead in, you, you talked about, or lead into this uh, topic, you talked about, you know, I, I picked Dole K. Um, I really didn't pick Dole K, but I did say, Hey, there's a guy that's going to be there for the okay, first time fair. in a while. Good, good point. Good point. Well played. And, and, and he is capable and it will be interesting to see with a, he had 11 year layoff up till about this time last year, 11 years out of the car loop. And he's raced about five or six times since August of last year, I think. And he he did this. 
So uh, Yerg, little Yerg had, I don't think he had any idea who he was racing, but the guy, and I've said many times, Nick Hastings is the best to ever do it. Uh, in terms of what he's and, and what he's accomplished on big stages where you've had races where the, the bottom bulb combined with the top bulb, and we all know the story and how it's worked, but the best foot breaker in the history of the sport runnered up the 100K. I mean, this guy, in terms of wind lights and what his, his race win percentage versus the races, you know, race wins versus the races he's entered, I don't think there'll ever be another one that can match what Doyle K has done. And he did it in a time where he was just better than everybody else and dominant. And it seemed easy. This seemed much harder, but man, did he, it was incredible to watch. You know, I watched Doyle hold some, he never would have dreamed of doing back in the day. You know, I watched him get very aggressive on the tree. And, you know, when he'd come up 006 red or 007 red, his next run would be 10 or 009. It wouldn't be 40. It wouldn't be the, the protection reaction time to make sure it was screw it. Uh, that's my spot. I got a little too much of it this last time, but I'm going to get it just right this time. It was incredible to watch. I just little Yerg at his right young age. And then Doyle with, you know, being 57 and coming off an 11 year layoff, the contrast of, of, uh, experience yeah. and ability and it all just pounded together right there in the final it was so much fun to it's such a juxtaposition because you and i jed were, were obviously biased in this regard because when we were foot brake racing competitively that was right in doyle's reign right and, and so yeah. i see the name doyle k in the final of a hundred thousand dollar win foot brake race and i'm like yeah of course Right. Who else? Right. <laughs> and you just brought up a good point. Like Brian Yeager Jr. is a prime example. Like there are listeners to this podcast who don't know who Doyle K is. And that blows my mind because he was so dominant for so long. I mean, multi-time BNM series champion. If there was a big dollar foot break race, he won it at some point, probably won it multiple times. I mean, dominant is, is literally a, 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 the word to use. And just just to put this into perspective, Jed, I mean, you just said it. He's raced five or six times in the last year after an 11-year layoff. Just uh, humor yourself as a listener or, or you as a host, Big Jed. 11 years ago, you think about what we were doing in the footbreak category. Like, with all due respect, 11 years ago, you and I were pretty good footbreakers. That <laughs> doesn't necessarily translate today, right? And I don't think we've necessarily gotten any worse. Everybody else has gotten way better. Doyle K didn't come to a racetrack in those 11 years, didn't compete. We've not only like raced, got more experience. I think it's fair to say you and I, Jed, if we're just going to speak about us, we've got way better equipment than we did 11 years ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Doyle rolls out with the same stuff after an 11 year hiatus and just promptly drives to the final round of the biggest race on the planet. That's incredible. <laughs> It really is, Luke, when, especially when you break it down the way you just did. You know, uh, uh, the, the car, he's owned the car for 35 years. He painted it in 1995, painted it himself. He did all the work to it himself. He painted it in 1995. So the paint job's 28 years, and it still looks great. The car is straight as an old. It looks fantastic. And, you know, what, what he's accomplished in it speaks for itself. 
But the guy's just as humble a, a champion and, and humble a talent as it gets, you know, and that's what I love about Nick Hastings. Nick's the same way, but again, Doyle just so humble and so talented. He, um, Luke, I, I know we probably don't need to go down this trail for, for the show. We, I'm sure we need to move forward, but Doyle stopped racing, not because he fell out of love with the sport. Um, you know, Alabama had a massive tornado hit in 2011, April 2011. And the tornado destroyed his community. He lives in a, he lives in a, you know, not necessarily a city, but one of these little communities in Alabama that, uh, that everybody knows everybody. And, you know, you got eight, 10, 20, 40 acres and it butts up to your neighbor uh, a couple of miles down the road and they got the same and it destroyed his, his community and only tore up his shop, his race car business and whatnot. His house escaped. Doyle stopped racing to repair his community. He didn't, he didn't stop racing because he didn't love it anymore or because he didn't have time or the money. He stopped racing so he could rebuild his community and help everywhere he could. And then he fixed his shop last. Well, obviously, that didn't take him 11 years, but, you know, I'm sure... The amount of time it took him, his car, he said, you know, we had trailer had dry rotted tires and the car had dry rotted this and needed new fuel lines and just couldn't ever get the motivation. Always was busy doing other things. He's busy with his job. He's kind of a one man band at his job and they finally got him some help. So he was he was at the top of the game and just stopped to to make sure that he did what he felt like was right in his neighbors at it's a it's a hell of a story it's and really worthy of all the praise that he gets there we say a doyle assance <laughs> yeah. the year of the assance it is a doyle assance take me through the rest of the week obviously little yerg over doyle k in the main event what else shook down in the four days at bristol uh well, our thursday gambler there was uh, some familiar faces in the final round dave harvey jr again a guy that just continues to get it done, 7-0 dial in, rolling her deep, same car that he's had for decades. It looks the same. It runs the same. I mean, the whole deal, it, it's pretty cool to watch Dave Harvey Jr. do what he does. The guy's very, very talented. I think he and Doyle are about the same age, like 57-ish. So it's great to see the, the experienced guys get it done um, we uh we talked about that you know 11 years ago where were you foot breaking we go back a little bit further than that it's probably like 15 years ago when i thought i was pretty good at foot breaking somehow or another i found myself in cecil county maryland for the harrington race and i got down to the semis i thought oh this is looking good and i got some old dude in a mopar and i'm like oh, i'm about to bust it but that did not work out and that's been not working out for whoever's in the other lane for two three decades that's dave harvey jr Nope, you're muted again, Jed. Keeps happening. I don't know how that keeps happening, but yeah, it, that's been happening since there's been a car in the other lane for that long. Um, and he got the win, Luke, over Gage Burks. And Gage, you know, spoken at length about what Gage has accomplished in this sport at a young age. And every time he rolls in the gate, doesn't matter if it's top ball, bottom ball, he's probably top 10, top 15 at worst. Uh, and that, that don't mean he's less talented than a lot of people. It just means there's a lot of talent there. But uh, so that was a cool final. Dave Harvey Jr. got that win. We rolled into the 10K race on Friday. Jake Pruitt took his big old Mopar. I don't know if you're familiar with this car, but it's a, a large, uh, I guess it's a Super B. Maybe it's a, it's a big one. There's a whole lot of Mopar. 
Yeah, it is. He took that hot rod going five nineties on the mountain to the win over Jesse Betterton, another guy that always performs very well in the, in his Chevy too. And uh, we worked in a gambler's race on Friday as was scheduled. That win went to Ron Boyce and he got the win over Brenton Hyatt. So a couple of new finalists for us. Uh, cool to see those guys uh, compete on a high level and, and come out on top. Ron uh, runs over at, uh, at producer marks, uh, what would be his home track if he, if he was out racing much. And that's uh, Keystone and um, Brent Hyatt's from North Carolina. So those guys did very well and, and made the way, their way to the final with Ron getting a win. And uh, then that took us into Sunday, Luke, uh, our wrap-up day. And uh, that 10K race was won none other than, by none other than Kevin Pollard. Who? Kevin. Yeah. So, yeah. Stop me if you've heard that before. Kevin uh, in the Raider Campbell's Camaro. They were rotating the earth, uh, 530s in that thing on the mountain in the heat. That, that sucker, it must, it must roll in the good air at sea levels. It was, it was fast, real fast. He got the win over Jake Clayton predominantly known as a top bulb racer, has been working on his foot brake racing and had his Mustang there rolling it deep and performed really well and come up a little short to Kevin in the final. So it was a good final, good wrap up for us. Uh, got done at a decent hour and, you know, had a lot of, uh, of first time winners, uh, several first time winners anyway. So that was cool. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously had perfect weather, Luke. It, it couldn't have been any better. You know, we were, we were really blessed with the, a great forecast and it lived up to that with the with sunshine every day and temperatures between about 79 and 86 as the days progressed it got a little warmer but really really good time good crowd sponsors were there Lil Yerd he uh, he obviously won the Pro 1 King of the Mountain custom racing jacket so the folks at Pro 1 are going to put that on him soon that was really cool uh Charlie Lockhart was our jigs Hard Luck Award winner. Charlie experienced an engine issue with his Monza and his S10, the, the rack, uh, tried to break the rack and pinion, tried to break off of it uh, after coming down from a little wheelie, I think, and he had to gather it up, but saved it. Preston and J.J. Shear, excuse me, won the Brodick's Long Toe Award. Look, they came 1,218 miles from a little pass for some old stomping grounds you had. They're out of Wall, Texas. That's a pretty good That's a hop, ride. skip, and a jump. That's a f- actually, they're from Texas. That's that's not a hop, skip, and a jump. That's a fur piece from the house. <laughs> fur piece from that's the a house. Fur okay. piece from the house. That's right. <laughs> I like it. And uh, we had a lot of Texas racers there. We, I'd like to say a, a thank you to the to all the people that were there. But I know some people from Texas made some long rides, so that was really cool. I see Kenny Tier online. He was one of them. So thank you, Kenny, and the Hamlins and the Sandlins. And I know I'm leaving out the, the Whirlies and the Gossets. There were there were Danny Hatfield. There was a ton of Texas. I mean, really was a lot of Texas. It was really cool. And uh, the RBZ Best Appearing Car Award went to Bubba Browning. I assume you're familiar with that little show. I am, twice. And, and I believe it should get that award at every event it goes to. Yeah, and we can't, we don't have multiple, you know, multi-time winners. So if it ever comes back, it won't be eligible. But my goodness, that car is incredible. He and John Siegel did the the rebuild of of our buddy Troy Williams Jr. Troy Williams Jr.'s old Chevy 2. And it is absolutely incredible. Front to back, top to bottom, every inch of this thing has been touched. 
and it was beautiful. So he was deserving of that. You know, appreciate that car's got a lot of history too. That's been a race car for a long time. It has been a race car for a long time, and uh, I think it's uh, it's nicer than it ever dreamed of being for sure. It's an incredible, incredible hot rod. But all in all, Luke, it was a great week in Bristol. We had two sixty-eight in the ten grander on Friday. 231 in the 100 grander on Saturday and 244 in the 10 grander on Sunday. A couple of good gamblers races. It was a it was a really good week up there. And um, you know, I don't know what the future holds for the the huge purse that this race has. Uh, our crowd has trickled downward the last three years. And you know, if we're just being transparent and honest, I I know the entry fees are a little stout for foot brake racing, a little hard to come by. And we're moving into an election year. So I, if I, if you're a fan of Cobra Razor Promotions events and, you know, you like coming to Bristol, I would look for there to be uh, some restructuring of this event uh, announced sometime in the near future. It was fun. It was real fun. But, you know, you got to you got to be true to your core customer. And uh, we might we might have ourselves in a position right now where our core customer just can't swing it. So. Well, we're going to make some adjustments and we're going to write the ship and allow more people to participate, which is what it's all about. And all that'll be figured out and announced sometime here in the next couple of months. Just circling back on the on the Bubba Browning Chevy 2, you brought back a lot of memories. That's the old Winnebago Chevy 2, right? That was originally, I don't know if that was the Rampy machine or Steve Dillman. One of those is in Winnebago colors for years. Mike Bloomfield ended up with it. Troy Williams Jr. drove it a bunch, had a lot of success. IHRA hot rod, big dollar bracket racing. Mikey drove it. But there was a period in there where Scotty had it for maybe a year. And I remember this like I was probably 17 years old. Scotty rolls into Texas Traceway with this thing. He lived in Tennessee. He was like coming home to see family. And at that time, nobody that didn't have a dragster. It was, you know, nothing was separated. Dragsters were a way better tool. Nobody that didn't have a dragster won Super Pro at Kennedale. Nobody. And even though everybody ran two classes, several people ran three, nobody doubled up at Kennedale. Guess what Scotty did in this 660 Chevy 2? Rolled in there one night, might've made a time trial. I don't even remember. He probably didn't need one. He won Super Pro and Pro. And that of, of all of the things that I watched him do over the years, like at that age, especially like at 17, that was what cemented his legacy in my mind. I'm like, that dude's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's Scotty doing Scotty things for sure. Scotty doing Scotty things in the now Bubba Browning mobile. Speaking of Scotty things, a place that he's won a time or two, a time or two, as has Peter Biondo, two of the absolute legends of our sport. The big go, big jet, the big go, the U.S. Nationals, Indianapolis Raceway Park. And I think the takeaway for us this year from the sportsman side, I think we led last year's post-indie show with this. Bo knows super gas. <laughs> yes. Bo still knows super gas, Big Jed. Bo Butner won his first U.S. Nationals crown a year ago in the 990 category. You could win some, some trivia time bets on that one, right? He comes back a year later. He duplicates the feat. And Jed, he did it in impressive fashion. He was 21 in the final. That was his worst light of the event. In seven rounds of competition, he was double O four times, 11 once, 18 once. And that final round reaction time, he goes back to back at the biggest race in the world. Your super gas winner, two years in a row, Bo Butner. Yeah, Luke, I looked at uh, at the box scores for the final rounds, for, for, for the final round competitors. I looked at their box scores and 
Uh, Bo is in, as impressive as anybody. That was a very solid box score. The 21 in the final was his worst light. Even Bo Butner, the big, big imagine an indie final round, especially when you're facing uh, the, the pressure of a back-to-back win. I'm sure that gets a little extra squeeze on the button or some tension in the body uh, to be 21 right there. Still impressive and impressive strength. Good. And no matter what he sits. Dad, we still got a microphone issue. You're going in and out, my friend. I know what we got going on there. This is the beauty of live podcasting right here. This is good stuff. Oh, you got to love it. Bo Butner. Um, like this was the narrative a year ago. I, I think we went through the same thing. Like, For as much as that man has won and as decorated as he is in so many various forms of our sport, I'll still make the argument he's underrated. Like how many people have won Indy twice, the million dollar race and a pro stock world championship? He's done all of that. And when we talk about the the pantheon of of sportsman drag racing drivers, like if you're going to make your top 10 or your top 25, like that's a name that doesn't typically come to the top of mind. And yet over and over time and time again, he makes the argument like it probably should, right? World champion in competition eliminator, world champion in pro stock, a couple of indie wins in 991 national events in basically every category, right? I mean, multiple categories, certainly won the freaking spring fling million. Like the dude can do it on any level. And this car, like it's been in the paint shop basically since he won Indy last year, he ran it at Bowling Green for the first time in nine months and just immediately drives it right back to the winner's circle. Pretty cool stuff. Still nothing. Hey, got you for just a second there. Am I there? For now. Am I back? Yeah, you're back, man. We're back. Oh my God. I, I hate this so much. Uh yeah. Luke, uh, you know, the the muscle memory that it takes, you know, we all are victim or are, are a product of muscle memory racing. You've got your little routine in the car that you do over and over and over. And it you don't even realize what you're doing. And for him to switch back and forth from the pro stock car to the super gas car and be competitive and make good laps. It, 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 it's, it takes an insane amount of talent and, and just focus. So um, all the things you said, hundred percent, correct, true, just a special guy. And that, that list of wins that you named off that don't happen. I mean, it just really don't happen. That's there's, there's only a few people that even give themselves that kind of opportunity to do that. And he's accomplished it. Really, really cool. Really happy for Bo Button. Another driver that is no stranger to the winner's circle at Indy or the winner's circle at the U.S. Nationals. How about Devin Eisenhower? He gets the super comp victory. Years ago, he won it in super gas. And over the course of Devin's relatively short but illustrious career to this point, that facility, which is his home track, it's played a pretty pivotal role in his two previous NHRA World Championships. The year that he won Super Gas at Indy, he went on to win the Super Gas World Championship. The year that he won the NHRA Super Pro National Championship, he earned his berth in Las Vegas by winning the Division Three ET Finals at Indy. Could this win, Big Jed, could it pave the way to yet another world championship with this victory? Devin inserts himself into the conversation at least among the contenders for the 2023 Super Comp National Championship. Luke, I feel like you you say this every year about an Eisenhower. <laughs> I mean, it's like they they always, just whenever they decide that, that they're going to get after it, they, they put themselves in position where they could, you know, possibly win a championship or definitely 
um, compete for it. So, I, you know, I don't know the points break down anywhere near like you do, but definitely if, if he's in your conversation, then he's giving himself a chance. And I see the notes here, you know, it, it, he, he's just 65 points back of the lead. I don't know what he has in terms of claims. And it's probably on down through here in the, the notes, but. I've got the points breakdown, Big Jet. If you're lacking the points <laughs> breakdown, you've come to the right place. Devin Eisenhower's well, U.S. Nationals victory does put him at 525 points. As you mentioned, he's 65 back of the current leader. He has three divisional events remaining with a lot of room for improvement, right? Early round finishes at all of them. Now, realistically, to contend for this title, I'd say he's got to at minimum make one more final, preferably a win, and make another deep run. You know, in those three, I guess he's got another national event as well. He's got opportunities, right? Presumably, he'll be at Gateway for the double divisional. He can get one more divisional. I'm not exactly sure where that'll be. Maybe they're on their way to Earlville this weekend. Um, maybe it'll be somewhere else. Like I say, it, it, I wouldn't put him as a favorite right now. That's still Travis Theobald. Like he's, I we we throw up another contender each week. It seems like to to, to Theobald, and and I I think we do that or I do that just for the conversation aspect of it. Theobald's definitely still in the catbird seat, but this is far from over, and it would shock no one if Devin Eisenhower made a serious run at it. We talk about Devin, but it's actually the man that was in the other lane in the final, one Jason Kenny, whose runner-up finish actually vaulted him past Travis Theobald atop the current national points chase. The runner-up puts Jason Kenny at 590 points. Now, he's only got one race remaining. It's a division race, and I think he's got to improve a fourth-round loss. So short of winning that last division race, I don't think 590 is going to hold up. Short of winning that event, that last event, I, I don't think he's necessarily a championship contender, but he's going to have a top five finish. Um, it, it's just another solid year for the Kenny family and specifically Jason. That dude has been top 10 a bunch over the course of the last decade plus and nearly, very nearly got it done on the biggest stage in racing over the weekend. Yeah, obviously, Jason Kenny has has been a top performer in, a, in the category for quite some time. Uh, I think uh, he and his father and uh, he's they've competed well in this category and top dragster, if I remember correctly. But uh, those those guys are just very talented racers. And anytime Jason Kenny's in the hunt, he's got a chance. Mentioned that it's going to be rather difficult for anybody to run down Theobald, but uh, I, it looks like based on what. I'm seeing here and what your breakdown is that uh, Eisenhower has a better opportunity to to make a run at Theobald for the championship. But Jason Kenny going to position himself where he resides a lot in the in the top 10 and certainly um, get some accolades and rewards for another great year on the racetrack. This is the nature of the NHRA points chase, Jed, and I, I think at least why I find it so fascinating and nerd out on it. To be completely clear, like the odds are that Jason Kenny will finish the season with more points than Devin Eisenhower. Like, I think that the odds would be slightly in Jason Kenny's favor, but Devin Eisenhower has a better chance to win the national championship than Jason Kenny. Those two things can both be true. That makes zero sense. Right. If, exactly. If you, if you tried to break that down for me again, I, I think I'd, <laughs> my headset would go ahead and finish itself off and let the smoke out. Joining. <laughs> multi-time indie winners Bo Butner and Devin Eisenhower in the winner's circle on Monday at the most prestigious event in the land 
some first-time winners. How about young Wyatt Wagner, Big Jed? He gets the win in Superstock. Wyatt was a top 10 finisher a year ago. This was his third final of the 2023 season. Not quite ready to call him a championship contender yet, but he is on the fringes of that championship mix. Uh, similar to Devin Eisenhower, the opportunity is there. There are races remaining, but he would have to get hot. Joining Wyatt in the winner's circle, Chase Williams, who had a better weekend or a better week Labor Day week and weekend than Chase Williams. Runner up in the Roof Tech comp clash to Don Thomas. That was a special um, 16 car field, 32 car field. One of the two that, uh, that Roger 16. Brogdon kind of 16 car field that Roger Brogdon put together. $50,000 purse, 30 grand to the winner that was won by Don Thomas. I saw, I, I didn't really get the full lowdown. Obviously it wasn't there, but there was like a Calcutta involved in this that nearly doubled the purse. Um, just made this a, a wild and, and interesting and highly competitive shootout. Chase Williams was runner up to Don Thomas in that. He comes back a couple of days later after mowing through the rounds to win his first U.S. Nationals. Got that victory over local standout and traditional competition eliminator threat, Troy Galbraith. Pretty amazing weekend for Chase Williams. It was a great weekend for Chase Williams. I, I, I dive into the, the comp class on occasion when my buddy bad brad plord has the buggy in the class and i like to see how that's working out for him and you know then i i want to see how the you know winners are beating on their cic or if they're maintaining the number i, I just it's a it's a cool class when you really try to start understanding it and how the numbers work it's a really cool class and the coolest thing is, look, these guys are going over 200 miles per hour and they're hitting a freaking bottom bulb, which, you know, that's a, these cars are 60 foot and like fast dragsters and faster and they're hitting the bottom bulb. So it's really cool category. I love to watch it. And Chase Williams had one heck of a weekend for sure. It was a week for that matter. Uh, financially good. And then, of course, the points implications were great. And he won the biggest race on the planet, the big go. So congrats and kudos to Chase Williams. Wyatt Wagner, what a cool deal that is. You know, he's a he's a young, young racer, got a really nice looking first gen Camaro super stalker. I can't remember. I think he was SSG, if I remember correctly, but I, I don't remember which which one of the categories he was. He was running uh, one category lower or higher than him uh, in the in the uh, super stock final, but either way, it's a traditional looking super stocker, which I love. I love the fact that he could take that and compete and win the U.S. Nationals. Just the whole story is excellent. Um, the car is, you know, it's orange. It it looks like it could have been a race car for thirty years or. So, and they just keep updating it. I don't know if it might've been a race car for three years and it's just that freaking nice, but look like a super nice hot rod and just a great story all the way around. I just love the fact that these guys are taking original looking super stock cars, nothing against the new stuff. I'm not trying to downplay it, but I'm a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the traditional looking hot rods. And he took one and won the damn U.S. Nationals. So it was really cool to win. He won the damn race. Not just the damn race, the damn U.S. Nationals. Jed, let's just, let's let's role play. We do this occasionally. Let's say that I'm a, a well-to-do car owner. I've seen some of your, uh, some of your illustrious 
reputation building bottom bulb accolades. And I call you up and go, Big Jed, like face the NHRA tour. Got a I've got a competition eliminator ride for you. Interested? <laughs> uh, I'd have to know what it is, but the answer is probably okay. So it, it's not no big deal. A man of a man of your experience, this will be nothing. What we're going to do is we're going to go sub one second, 60 foot times, and it's going to leave about 8,500. All right. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds easy. <laughs> Can you run the Nothing front tires too. flat or, or give me some brake line hold that grab a little bit? <laughs> because I don't know if I could wait that long. And I hit it late. <laughs> it takes a lot of talent. Look, I know what you're saying. And it takes a lot of talent. And matter of fact, Chase Williams, I looked at his box scores uh, specifically and you know, he showed a very strong string of reaction times when you consider what he was sitting in. And the final round was good. I think it was a teen bulb to a 20 bulb. This, these guys are good. They're really good. I, you know, I call it a rich man's pissing contest when we, when we're having the arguments and all those things. But reality is it doesn't matter how much money they got. And if they have pissing matches or not, the drivers that sit in the seats are really freaking good. No question. Donnie Beeler. Stick shift legend. It's his third national event victory, his first U.S. Nationals crown. Chris Osborne, top sportsman winner. He got that done over at Steve Yeager. And another first-time winner, Big Jed, that might surprise a few people. Jeff Strickland earned his 22nd national event victory over the weekend. It was his first Indy. And he nearly did. He flirted with it. He nearly did something that has never been done. He nearly doubled it in. In addition to winning top dragster, Strick, semifinalist in stock eliminator. It was a right driver, wrong class situation for me, Big Jet. Our picks in Indy were not spot on at all. We we looked really good at Bristol. We didn't look so hot at Indy. But I did have Strick pegged in stock eliminator. Picked the right driver, wrong category. Trivia time, Big Jed. No one has ever doubled at Indy. I believe, as good a research as I could get, I believe three drivers have come close. Three drivers have been in two finals at the same U.S. Nationals. I believe all three have split those two those decisions. Any guesses? If you can name, these are pretty gettable. If you name two of the three, that's incredible. Well, I'm going Edmund Richardson. Have I got one yet? It's a good guess. Do you just want to do all three? or? Well, yeah, I, I can try. So Okay, uh, Edmund saying, is a great guess, I'm... but but a brick. So I got I got to get these next two um, U.S. Nationals. I mean, my man Pluard has won it a couple of times, I think. So I'm going to go Brad Pluard. He's won it a couple of times plus one. He's won it thrice. Okay. Times. But, okay. but never, never seriously flirted with a double. Okay. And um, I mean, I I, I want to pick, I, and I should have made two of my picks, Scotty and Peter. Uh, because okay. they're the best two to ever do it. So Peter Biondo, for all his success at Indy, and I think he's won it more than anyone else. He's obviously no one has ever doubled. He's never been in multiple finals at the same Indy. Scotty has. And I feel like I've told this story before. Perhaps I've done this trivia time before. So the, the true OG loyal listeners are like, you've done it. I know the answer to this, right? Kudos to you. Scotty Richardson, I, I wish I had it in front of me. I'm going to guess the year is... 1993, 92, somewhere in that range. Because at this point, I am a loyal Scotty Richardson disciple. Like I watched this guy on Saturday night at Kennedale, right? And for what they uh, remember the, the the Nashville Network, TNN, baby. 
are you are you following it all? You're, you're just oh yeah, oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, right. So TNN is live broadcast from the U.S. Nationals, and they legit are showing the Sportsman Finals on TV live in whatever this oh, was, nice. like 92, 93, and I'm glued to it, right? Me and my dad, I'm probably, I'm 12 years old. If I'm halfway close, I'm years, I'm halfway. And they're running it in sequence, you know, like your typical sportsman sequence. So it's stock and then it's super stock. And well, Scotty runs stock and wins, right? And you can tell he's fired up. They got the camera on him in the shutdown area, this and that. Well, then in the sequence, they skip over super comp. And my dad's like, they're not going to show a super comp. That's the one day. Now you've gone silent on me. How about now? Okay. That's uh, much more gooder. Okay. So you left us, you left us at, they're not going to show super comp. That's the one. That's my dad saying, that's the one damn class we want to see. They're not going to show a super comp. And I just immediately, this is before the internet, you know, you know, you can't follow along with what's going on. We used to call 1-800 results or whatever, just to find out who won. You remember those days? Yeah. It was like 1-900. You had to pay for the damn call and they'd just tell you who won. Right. So. I, I just immediately say, but dad, they got to wait for Scotty to come back. They got to keep the show moving, right? Well, sure enough, they pan back to the water box. Here comes Scotty rolling into the water in the slick 50 dragster. He lost the final of Supercom. So that's one. David Rampey, your boy from Alabama, Big Jet. I don't have the year. I believe, I believe Rambo won comp, runnered up in Supercom. The one that's a bit trickier, but perhaps the most memorable to the, the, the common fan was the year that Pat Austin took over for Gary Ormsby and was doing double duty, top alcohol, funny car, and top fuel. He wins alcohol, funny car. It's in the top fuel final at Indy that he does the burnout like he's in his alcohol, funny car and pops the blower off of it in the burnout. Oh, no. He would, this was muscle memory again. Yeah. And this was at a time when no one even ran two classes. He would come back a few weeks later and get his first double victory at Topeka, which was the first time it ever happened. But the first time that somebody was in the final of two classes at Indians had all the decisions. And I believe, like, I think he had a significant advantage in the top fuel final. Like it was, it felt like a done deal if he stages it up that he's going to win. Well, very cool. So I, I kind of got one. I, I can't believe I didn't pick David Rampey. You know, that's, again, just a product of my poor being able to think on the spot and my memory. Oh, I should always pick David Rampey anytime it's trivia time. He's probably, the, you know, probably somebody that won. So I see uh, Boo Washington picked Peter, Scotty, and Rampey online. Solid. So he got a couple of them. But, Luke, uh, back to Donnie Beeler. Uh, I don't, I mean... Obviously, you got stick shift legend. He won the U.S. Nationals swapping gears, baby. Rowing oh, gears yeah. with three pedals in the car. Oh, yeah. That freaking awesome. I mean, that's, you, you have to have a level of consistency about you to go out and compete and win the U.S. Nationals. It's a, it's a grueling several-day race, and you've got you've to be mentally strong. You certainly got to do that when you have to pull that, that pedal up and let it stage and then shove it back in and deck it for the tree. I mean, it takes a lot of talent to get a stick car to continue to repeat and do everything over and over again. Donnie Beeler gets that done with U.S. Nationals. You know, no offense to anybody. Jeff Strickland, he's my Alabama homeboy. I love Red Bay. I love Jeff Strickland. That's the story of the event, bro. I mean, my man did it with having to move his shifter back and forth all the way down the track and, and three pedals in the car. It don't get any cooler than that. 
I feel like we've had this conversation before. You've done this, right? Haven't you raced a stick shift car at some point? Look, I went 671 in a straight shift car in the eighth in 1988, bro. 1988. Okay. Okay. Here we go. You burn out in third gear, you get her rounded back up. And I had to use the clutch, bro. I didn't have a, I didn't have one of these $6,500 transmissions. I was having to power shift that boy, you know, just 671, bro, 1988. Hey, I'd like to give you a hard time about that. I'm not, I, I think you give me time. I think I figure it out, but I've been down a racetrack, like literally tens of thousands of times. I'm, I'd have to really sit down and think about it. I don't have a game plan for staging. I have no idea how I'll even stage it. So kudos to you. And I think more so to Donnie Beeler. Yeah, Donnie Beeler, much more, much uh, more gooder accomplishment than I had because I couldn't have done it twice. And he did it for a full week in Indy and won the U.S. Nationals. So <laughs> Donnie Beeler gets the nod there. I did watch one of the most gifted, like natural drivers I've ever seen. And it's funny we bring up Jeff Strickland because when I think of gifted natural drivers, Jeff's the first name that comes to mind. But another one, the OGs will know, you'll be from my buddy Brian Robinson, right? So in our in our stock eliminator heyday that lasted all the two years, Brian Robinson and I, Brian owned a stock eliminator car that I drove. And our engine builder, man by the name of Brian Rogers, based out of Nashville, Brian, Rogers, another stick shift legend, not afraid to roll through the gears. Brian, I assume, was at Indy. He goes every year. Well, somehow Brian Robinson talked Brian Rogers into letting him wheel the stick shift Camaro. We were at a combo race at Bollinger. And I was amazed to give my, Brian, my, my boy B-Rob credit for how quickly he picked up on this. Because again, I'm not, I don't believe I could do it. But I also watched this same guy, this naturally talented, gifted driver who picked up on the stick shift very quickly. I watched him get timed out at six cars left in this race. I was in the water behind him going stage, stage, stage. And he could not. Yeah. No, no surprise on the, on the V Rob. Uh, he's not B Rob. He's V Rob. Okay. Because, I, because he, uh, I saw him one time, I guess he, I don't know if he picked up Cassie's shirt or his grandfather's shirt or what he did, but he was at the races one time in a, you know, one of these white undershirt and it, it was one of these boys, you know, showing a little Cleveland. And uh, I'm like, bro, that, that can't be your shirt. I mean, that's a V-neck. And uh, that's, that you're no longer B-Rob. You're V-Rob. So he's V-Rob to me. But uh, no no surprise. I'm just surprised you saw him at a racetrack. Yeah, this was years ago. Back when we used to go. But uh, he's the guy, you know, he's raced my car before. And, and I've seen him get in some stuff that he hadn't ever set in before. And and, you know, he'll come back from that first run and he'll go, ah, you know, that I think that converter, it needs a it'll be a little loosened up. It felt like the RPMs dropped about an extra hundred or two in the shift and it needs to stay. You know, he's just he's so observant of of all the cars doing the chassis, the the engine. Yeah, all of that. I mean, so no surprise to me that he could just jump in something and adapt to it that quickly. He's that talented. Jeff Strickland, your top dragster winner at the U.S. Nationals. Strick, he's not in the title conversation yet. That's his second win of the season. And he's also got two semis. And he's only been to seven events. I'm not ready to put him in the, the discussion yet with the Clint Geisey, the Blake Peevler, Dylan Howe. But if, perhaps, when, knowing Strick, he hoists another Wally, we're going to be talking about him as a dark horse. 
Jed, <clears throat> the the schedule for this year's Indy, everything followed suit. Like this was the schedule that was announced on Tuesday of the event. And <clears throat> I don't, I can't recall an Indy being laid out quite like this. The only sportsman cars that went down the racetrack on Monday, the, the pinnacle day of Indy, were the finalists. This race was run all the way to the finals on Sunday. Just the finalists came back to compete on the quote unquote big stage as part of the Monday festivities. And I don't, having lived through this jet, I've got mixed emotions because part of me wants as many sportsman racers as possible to feel Monday at Indy because Monday at Indy is freaking incredible. I mean, it is, it's million dollar race vibes, but like late round million. And it's a different vibe because you, you roll in late round of the million and you've got eyeballs on you. And it's like everybody that you kind of care about because it's your peers. You know, like everybody sticks around at the million to watch it. Indy's got that feel, but it's different because the stands are packed. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> Nick Folk told me this years ago, he's, he had made, I think the semis at Indy. And, uh, and I said, what'd you think of that? And he said, man, I'll be honest. Like I don't get too worked up about much of anything. He said, I pulled to the ready line and I just kind of pulled myself up and I looked to my right and I saw Mario Andretti. And I thought, Whew, wow. And I looked to my left and I saw Tony Stewart. And this was back before Tony Stewart was at every NHRA national event. And he just thought, my God, right? And that's the vibe. Like, it's just, it's a different atmosphere. So part of me says, man, I want as many sportsman racers as possible to just experience that because it is incredible. The flip side of it is that being in on Monday at Indy and losing in the semis sucks. Ask me how I know. I've done that a few times. So like to be part of the festivities, like obviously you want to win it. And like the semis, there's no fanfare at all. Like you don't even get to fill out the contingency form like you would if you lost in the final. So there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I'd like to experience that, but I'd just like to experience it and it'd be like a really positive memory. Not that losing in the semis is anything to be ashamed of, but so I'm kind of mixed on it. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Big Jed? Run it all the way, just the finalists on Monday or have four or eight competitors in each class that get to experience the Monday vibe? Um, Luke, I, I mean, I, I would be all for the most inclusion you can get for the Monday vibe, but I think it heightens the disappointment as well for those that don't make the next round on Monday. So I'm not real sure how I'd feel about that, but definitely just sending the, you know, the finalists there on Monday, you know, it's, it's a really cool deal and a very special moment. But again, that's the least amount of racers that can leave with devastating punches to the gut. I'm in favor of that. So I think I, I think I like it this way. I think I like it the, the new way, if you will. Um, there was some talk about somebody said at Bristol this weekend, you know, they, I hear they might wrap up the sportsman categories on Friday. They do people going, they're going to flock down here for this hundred K. Well, number one, they don't want this smoke. Uh, most of them leave with rev limiters and uh, no offense to them um, that they'd have to make some adjustments. Uh, and number two, they ain't coming. It don't matter when they finish. So no, no, they're not. But I, I think I like it the way it is. I, I like the, the, the light shined on, uh, on Monday and on a, you know, a smaller number of racers. Um, I think if folks could experience a Monday, that's wonderful. But again, getting, getting kicked in the gut Monday and having to leave and not moving on and being able to compete in the final round. 
I can only imagine what that feels like. Because I mean, you're there a week, right? I mean, you, 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 so I'd want if I was going to lose, I just want. <laughs> no, and and I, I'm not privy to this. Obviously, I wasn't there, and I really hadn't talked to anybody that that was uh, in late outside of a couple of congratulatory texts. But just from the look of it, um, it was really slow on Sunday, right? Like a, a lot of a lot of the finalists missed it pretty significantly with the slow side. So my my sense is that there was a pretty significant change in conditions for Monday. Could you just imagine trying to sleep Sunday night or waking up Monday morning? That you've got one round. Uh, I mean, for everyone in that position, with the possible exception of Bo Butner, arguably like the biggest round of your life. One shot on the biggest stage. And oh, by the way, it's probably like a tenth slow from yesterday. No big deal. <laughs> that, welcome to Indy, baby. Yeah. No, I could not imagine. I really couldn't. Um, just real briefly on the NHRA point scene, I won't spend too much time on it because obviously we've dedicated time to this and we will certainly going forward. But outside of the, the winners from Indy that we just mentioned, the only notable move is in Superstock and it's Tyler Kahili. We talked about Tyler a week ago. Tyler ventured out from his Georgia home to Bowling Green into Indy and he did not win either one of those. But he did as much damage and did as much for his national championship hopes as he possibly could short of winning one of those events. He was the runner-up in Bowling Green. He advanced to the quarterfinals in Indy. He is your new national points leader in the Superstop category, sitting at 612 points, still has a bunch of races left. As we talked about a week ago, Brad Burton is in a similar position to Kadili. <clears throat> They're the two front runners at this point, leading an all-star pack of title hopefuls in the Superstop category that in addition to Tyler Kahili and Brad Burton, includes Joe Bogan, Jimmy Dondo Jr., Kyle Rizzoli, Kevin Helms, Ryan McClanahan, Ryan Monford, on down the list. Like it is absolutely a who's who. And we've been saying this for months, but it is fun to track that superstar. We say it every year. It's always fun. It's always very competitive and it's always loaded with names that you do not want to see in the other lane or chasing you in the points or leading you. So, this is a this is a whole pressure packed category. Seems like uh, from this point on, every every year it's got so much pressure building up and so many great racers in contention. This is no different in 2023. The only difference is Tyler Kahili has inserted his name into the mix by chasing some races and performing very well. And you know, again, Tyler's from my division, so. I really like to see uh, him do well, and I like to see Rebel him, Pride. I like to see <laughs> like to see him put himself in position to possibly do something very, very special and win the national points. And again, all these guys I'm fairly familiar with on the list, none of them live in the pressure cooker, as I said several weeks ago that that Tyler lives in because he works on junior dragsters and junior dragster engines. And I know the parents and kids wear his country ass out to make sure they get their stuff to be able to go to the racetrack. So uh, Tyler deals with pressure every day. This this national points chase in Superstock, this is like vacation. Along those lines, like this is, I don't know that we've talked about this, Jed, and this is completely off the cuff. What, what would it take to incentivize you, known race promoter, to host a major junior dragster only Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, just I speaking from really personally on my list of things that I'd like to do in my life, that's below the basement. Like, yeah, I'm just not. Going. I love junior racing. I love putting on races. I am not going there. 
I was about to say, I think I would do it for a cool quarter meal. I think, I think if somebody said, look, I got a quarter meal, I want you to put this race on, um, you know, and it, it's going to, it's going to be three days, four days long, and you got to get them parked and do the whole deal front to back. But I got a quarter meal. I think I would do it for that. I wouldn't immediately just say yes. I would, I'd have to, to look have at to it. Think but, about it. <laughs> it's, you know, kudos to the, to the guys. There, there is just a level of emotion that comes along with having your kids involved. Like I just, I do not have any less than <laughs> zero. Norwalk. Zero. 40 grand nationals, Big Jed. You, you're finalists, you're winners. Opening day, $15,000 to win. How about Jimmy Francisco over Ryan Pickens? The main event, Saturday's 40 grander, Mike Willie over Justin Skirt Vickers. And in the finale, 20 grand to win Sunday, JP Schuster over Kelly Smith. Big Jed, what do five of those six have in common? Uh, Luke, based on what I'm reading here at the bottom of that, part of the show <laughs> five of those six get in the car and shut the door behind them well one's a roadster but yes yes five of the oh, six okay. would technically be they drive from the left side is what i should have said door cars the 40 grand nationals at summit motorsports park norwalk ohio one of the few races on the big dollar bracket schedule that does not separate door cars and dragster it didn't seem to have an ill effect on those door slammers you know, again, is is uh, the, the popular opinion is this can't happen. This is not. That's why we separate them so the door cars will have a chance. You need this, and the only way to give them a chance is if you separate them from the dragster. But you're talking about a premier facility where the cars are going to, you know, repeat very well. You're talking about great drivers, great equipment. So that does level the playing field somewhat. But even even old door car Jed, the dragster hater, even me, I still think this is not something you will see very often if run a lot of races where they don't separate. I'm very proud of these finalists. I'm very proud of the fact that door cars showed up and showed out. That's really cool to see. But it's not a likely. The dragsters just repeat a little better, and we drive way more gooder like this than we do like. <laughs> That was a special for the Facebook Live community, right? Yeah. There. That, that was, that yeah. Was oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was stellar. The no, I I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I know that that doesn't make for great podcasting, but we're on the same page. I think if you run this race ten different times and you've got thirty winners instead of three, I think the gap is narrower than it was. 15, 20 years ago, when we started to separate door cars, I, I think just technology has evened things out a little bit. And door cars, like there are door cars that are really, really good, really, really consistent. Um, I would say the average dragster is still better, a better tool than the average door car. So if you run this race 10 times, you have 30 winners. I don't think it's dramatic, but I bet it goes like 17, 13 dragster, 18, 12 dragster, something like that. Like this ratio would not continue like five out of six is it speaks to the relevance of door cars in general and then specifically in this area i mean we just rattled off the winners you know who we didn't name chris bear matt Addis. you know i mean like really really predominant door car racers that hail from that region and, and obviously that's just the tip of the iceberg so it's a tough place to run a door car um or i i say that it's a it's there's a lot of competitive door cars there and the ratio there may be off a little bit from what you'd see elsewhere. But regardless, like, I don't think this skews the fact that 
if we combined every race everywhere, I still am of the opinion that the drag shooter tool, I think this result specifically is a bit of an anomaly. Jed, one other um, brief note from Norwalk that I think you'll appreciate. We talked about you getting in that competition eliminator car, sub one second 60 foot, leaving at 8,500. Sunday's $20,000 runner up, Big Jed, one Kelly Smith, 57 Chevrolet Roadster, dialed like five flat off the bottom. And not only did they not separate directors and door cars, I am not of the opinion that they separated bottom bulb and top. My man rolled through them to the final. Wow. Now I did, I see off the bottom in the notes, but I did not realize that it was a 57 Chevy Roadster uh, running five flat. So that's <laughs> a Come on. very impressive. I obviously had to have that one uh, chipped down a little bit. Just, I just don't see a way you, you hit that spot clean and hit it that late to make that work. So uh, must have been leaving about 2,800. That's just a guess. Dude, I, I dialed 6.30 and leave at 2,800. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I hit a late spot, so I would have to have her chipped up, even a five-flat card. I, I know you're familiar with this story. I feel like I've probably told it on the podcast before. This is the problem I did get. I talk so damn much. I can't remember what story I've told to who, right? I'm not muted now. I see the yellow box around my face right here. Um, (laughs) So you don't talk too much. That's what the damn podcast is to show where we talk. So there was a time, I think you were there. It was at your favorite facility, but it wasn't one of yours. I think it was a $5,000 win bottom box. And somehow or another, I I taught Peter Beyond up to double. And this was my Vega in its previous flight. So it was it was in the running or the not not car at the restaurant. <laughs> and and the, I mean the best part of the story that I'm almost certain I've shared is Pete flipping it and asked me, what, what what about the burnout? How how what how, how do I do the burnout? I'm like, well, you're gonna laugh, but you see that big hole in the tunnel? And it was literally it was a it was a hole you could put a can of Pepsi through for the shifter cable. Like that's what that's what went through the hole. The hole was a little bit oversized for the shifter cable. I said, you see that hole? He goes, how could I miss that hole? You know? I said, well, I just, I hold on to the line lock until smoke starts coming through that hole. And then I let go. And he just looked at me like I said the dumbest damn thing you'd ever heard. Anyway, I'm leaving. I was trans brake off the bottom. And I think I got it chipped at like 3,200 or something like that, right? So I peek it in. He's like, I'll have to chip it down. So, okay, whatever. Like, just stare at the bottom light when it comes on. Like, go oh, to the switch. Like, it ain't that hard, right? My man is leaving at 1,800 RPM. And I said, Pete, how can you be so damn consistent letting go before anything comes on? I don't know. But he, I mean, that's probably, I don't I figure like, I don't know, four or five thousandths per hundred RPM. So he's like 60 faster than me off the bottom. And obviously way better. Blows me away. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, I have uh, double dutied with Peter before in, in my car. And <laughs> the delay box got a lot more rolled in it when he sat down than it does when I sat down. So uh, I ain't sure he was leaving on that. I think he sees dead people. He <laughs> was probably seeing the light come on and was just freaking crushing it, just who he is. I tell people all the time, like in my capacity at This Is Bracket Racing, like, look, it doesn't matter what delay you've got in the box or what RPM you have to leave. You just get into the same thing every time, right? And I, and I can preach that. It does not matter. The four quickest racers that I have ever seen like either driving behind them, looked down at the delay box in their car or been on the practice street behind them, the four quickest like that stand out hundreds faster than anybody else has ever been around, 
Scotty Richardson, Peter Biondo, Jake Coughlin Jr., Nick Folk. There might be something to it. <laughs> so, for to ever live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so I, I drove behind, I shared a car with Scotty once, and I remember coming back from, it was, you know, like at the time I was younger and thought I was quick. And I'm like, there's no way that he needs 300s more than, I've never driven behind anybody that needed more delay me. 300s, right? And I just wouldn't believe it. I'm like, I, I got to leave that number in, right? So finally, like three rounds later, I'm like, I can't hit it any freaking better, right? And he gets in behind me and promptly rolls 300s into the box. To the point he comes back to the trailer, I'm like, look, man, I don't know how you're so consistent letting go before anything comes on up there. It's pretty damn good. I'm impressed. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That I is a lot. We were at Moroso one time. I peeked down in Nick Folk's dragster. He had 12 something in the box. 1.2, whatever. Ooh, Never seen it. Yeah. That's a lot of delay. He was still leaving on the chip. So, um, all right. So we digress. Where are we? Oh, we had, we, we made our predictions for the fuel factory all-star $100,000 shootout a week ago with the thought process being that we would not record again before the fuel factory $100,000 win all-star shootout. If you're watching us live on Facebook, you know we're still 24 plus hours removed from crowning a champion in that. If you're listening, you probably already know who won by the time that we released this on Friday. Next week, we'll dive into that. But just as a little bit more of a preview, what are you excited about as we get into tomorrow's Fuel Factory $100,000 All-Star Shootout? What will we learn? Will there be any takeaway from this event outside of just being one of, if not the most entertaining events of the season? Well, Luke, we talked about it uh, in a sense, uh, but I'm really excited about there being, you know, even number of door cars and even number of drags. And I want to see how that ends up, you know, how that translates. Um, you know, will the Will the door car drivers uh, emerge as the champion? Will the dragster drivers emerge as the champion? And, um, you know, I know they're they're going to be facing one another. I guess it'll be a door car dragster final. But um, I still want to see, you know, who comes out of that door car side if they'll if they'll come out on top of this thing. But the team aspect is probably what truly has me most excited. See how the the teams perform. I want to see if the, my pick does well. You know, I'm I'm not invested in it, but I definitely want to see. Uh, John Siegel and Donovan Williams get this thing done because that's who I picked. So uh, very interested in seeing how that plays out, door car versus dragster and how my team performs the most. That's what has me the most excited. But this this thing is really cool, man. I, I'm, I'm starting to see online already a lot of excitement being generated about it. Um, we've known about this for months and months and months, and the wait is finally over. That's really cool that we're going to get to see who emerges as the the best, the all starest, and um, you know I really can't wait. I'm not going to be in a position where I can watch every lap. I got quite a bit going on tomorrow, but I'm definitely going to be peeking where I can. And I typically don't don't really care to go on a live feed while I'm working because I got uh, it's busy. But I'm gonna have to sneak away a little bit tomorrow and make sure I, I get me a good look at this. Yeah, this is I, I'm with you on 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 the buzz, the excitement. Same deal. I'll actually be junior dragster testing tomorrow of all things. I probably don't oh. get much of it either. Maybe I'll, I should be able to get back. So I, I'll be excited about that. The I, there's a part of me, Jed. I don't. There's a part of me that wishes this event was like the week before Indy. It feels like we had like a dead time there where nothing was going on, where this would have been nothing. 
no one would have talked about anything but this event for two weeks leading up to it. It feels like, I don't want to say it's lost in the shuffle because it is arguably like the biggest, most hyped event of the year. And it's still going to be a big deal the way that the Wing staff is promoting it. I just feel like it's lost a little bit in the, the rush of the last week or so for everyone, you know, whether it's your race at, at, at Bristol, U.S. Nationals, like it just seems like there's a lot going on and it kind of snuck up on me. But nonetheless, it's going to be awesome to watch. I'm not sure that the results of tomorrow night necessarily prove anything for anyone that's in that event. Like there's not going to be a surprise winner, right? That any of the 48, you're like, yeah, right. Um, so like, what will we learn? Like, I'm, I'll just say this, but Chris Bear has dominated this. I don't, I can't tell you the last time that he sat behind the wheel of a dragster. He's on the dragster side, right? Like, I, I was I was giving Matt Dadis a hard time. That's Chris Bear's teammate. I'm like, Matt, I don't know if you've ever raced a dragster. Like, I'd just take one for the team. Like, I'll get in the Mr. Chris, you stay in that truck. I'll just put it like this. Like, would it surprise me if Chris Bear won this event in a dragster? Because, like, Chris Bear is awesome, and we've seen him win in dragsters. But the fact that he's going to come into this event against the best racers in the world and sit in a car that you don't know that he's sat in in a year, if he wins this thing, like, that's just not and I kind of feel the same way about Scotty. Like Scotty and Edmund are teamed up in this. And you just look at the roster and think like, okay, you can't bet against Scotty. Like, have you seen Scotty Richardson this year? Like, I think he's raced once, twice. And yeah. he hasn't really been on tour either, right? Like, you can't bet against them winning this because they've won everything for 40 freaking years. But if they just come in cold against all of these, the best racers in the world that do this at a high level week in and week out, and those guys win again, not fair. So again, I'm not handicapping it. I'm not, I'm far be it from me to put the chip on the shoulder of any of those three guys and say they can't win. But if they do, I'll just shake my head and go, my God, here we go again. Yeah. Even, uh, even the way you laid that out, you know, a long time sit, since he's setting a dragster for Chris Bear, Scotty and Edmund not racing a whole lot, still wouldn't be surprised. As you said, with any name that comes out on top, it's going to be no surprise. Um, the, I guess there is no expectation for who will come out on top of this. You know, a lot of times you look at a, a shootout of some kind or, you know, some kind of matchup like this and you, you got somebody you think, oh, yeah, they're, I mean, they, they should do it or they, they might could do it. Everybody fits that in this race. So it's going to be awesome. I, you know, I think, um, I think a lot of times the numbers, Luke, don't, always reflect the talent i think this has got some pressure on it uh, it's a significant investment for each team it's there's a lot on the line it's a it's a hundred k shootout uh there's a ton of attention on it and there's a freaking talented racer in the other lane every time you stage very talented so i think there's some pressure on this and i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that impacts the results see ya just from a psychological standpoint, I'll almost take the other side of this because I feel like the vast majority of the competitors in this, like they obviously are aware of how talented they are. And they're also very aware of the talent in the field. And I think there's an element of like, it's pretty freaking awesome to be included in this, to be invited to this. And very much like a there's no expectation here. Like if I ran this race 48 times, I'd like to think I'd win once, but I don't know that anybody could really say like, I'm supposed to win this race, right? That said, the majority of these 48 didn't get there because they didn't have some kind of chip on their shoulder and some way to motivate themselves. So maybe I'm off there, 
but I do think like, I think most of the competitors in this would stand back coming in and go, you know what, the outcome of this, like it doesn't really prove it. Like this isn't a race or who's the best, right? Like it's, it's just one race and somebody's got to win it. And I think the majority of the field would say that, but I'm kind of intrigued by some of the, it is an all-star race in every sense of the word, but like some of the maybe less heralded teams, the, the, the teams and or drivers that we know are capable, but aren't necessarily like top A-list names that aren't, you know, Jeff Sarah and Jake Coughlinger, that aren't Donovan Williams and Corey Gillette, right? Some of the other drivers that come into this, maybe they got voted in or something like that. And, you know, by their peers and think like, no, this is my opportunity to shine on this stage. That to me brings a little bit more chip on the shoulder. And while some may be, might be surprised by a handful of names on this list, I think that element really kind of levels the playing field. So I'm fascinated to see what happens all right and who ends up wearing that. Yeah, solid thought. Uh, very, very fair thought there. I, I definitely think the amount of talent and accomplishment in this field you know, it's probably not going to phase them a whole lot. The moment's not going to be bigger than than they've seen. So, you're you're. I, I, I'd say you're probably right. My thought about pressure probably might lead them, might be with them in into the lanes. But from that, when they when they strap in, do their burnout, they're just going through the motions that that got them there in the first place. So, very yeah, good the, thoughts there. The element of pressure that I do think applies itself, and that not many racers in the field are immune to is that this is week one in a stretch where a lot of these guys and gals will be ringing up tabs in the thousands of dollars every single week. And there's an element of like, hey, let's get this started on the right foot. Let's free roll for the next month instead of accumulating that tab. So I think from that aspect, that that's probably the pressure here more so than even than the prestige, which is kind of odd to say because this is arguably the most prestigious event of the season. Yeah, really good points. All right, I had one other thing on the table, but we're already 90 minutes into this podcast episode, so we'll table that for next week. Big Jed, I think that's the show. Awesome, Luke. Uh, I definitely, that topic, I definitely look forward to discussing that because um, it, it, is a, it is a really cool question for sure. Um, obviously, next week, we've got the discussion about the Fuel Factory All-Star 100K shootout. Uh, the OG Millions coming up the following week and um you know that's those are two premier events on the schedule and, and 804 oh wait we do that next week sorry <laughs> two that's going to get a heck of a lot of attention so i look forward to, to talking about the results from columbus and what lies ahead for everyone heading a little farther more western um that wraps us up, Luke, before before we get into the wrap-up. Uh, again, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit when you said the boys beat you up in, in bottom bulb and you salvaged the weekend. You and Gary had a pretty special moment once again at I-57 Drag Strip. Uh, that's, uh, that's really cool. I mean, to share the winter circle with your son and both of you get it done and, and, and come, come out on – getting the junior up there and doing everything you do and making sure that you you leave him the opportunity to be competitive and all you got to do for that. And then to focus on your own racing and get that done. Pretty cool stuff. So congratulations you and uh, you and my man, Gary, for sharing the winter circle at I-57. It's a lot of fun. It's absolute chaos between my wife, my son and myself. We had seven entries per day. Oh. It was hot. I sweat. I lost four pounds. But we got it done. We got it done. It did not start well at all. 
Um, we we kind of salvaged the weekend, but it ended up far better than could be expected. And uh, to be fair, Little Man's putting it together, Big Jeff. Little Man drove better than I did. It was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there's, there's no doubt he is. Uh, he's going to be a threat as he continues to age. So looking forward to seeing how that happens. But in the meantime, enjoy these moments. And I'm sure y'all have plenty more ahead of you. Really cool accomplishment for you guys. That wraps us up, folks. Thank you for watching. If this is Friday, thank you for listening. If you did both, thank you for both. But um, if you got some comments you want to leave us about this show or any show for that matter, anything we talked about, you can do that right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can post it for public view or you can send us a private message and our man, producer Mark, will uh, snag that up and let us know what you had to say. So again, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page is where you can put that all that thought into print to know what you Luke, seeing you go to the pad a few times, know you got something. Shouts to Rebel Pride. Shouts to Roll Tide. Oh, yes. Shouts to Wall, Texas. It's a third piece from the house. Shouts <laughs> to 671, Big Jed, in the straight shot. You know, you had that little, just that little, that thing would kick them RPMs up just a little bit. When shouts to you for getting it staged up. Shouts to Donnie Beeler. And shouts, Big Jed, to this smoke. Because you don't want it. You don't, you don't want to smoke. They don't want that smoke. They don't know those those people are talented in stock for stock. Most of them don't. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we are both active on the app. If you got something you'd like to tweet to us, please do so. Luke is at Luke Bogak at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. That wraps us up for tonight. Tune in next week for some great discussion about some great events. And we can't wait to talk to you again real soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.